It's the Airhead 247 Podcast. The Airhead 247 Podcast, powered by Wedgetail Ignition Systems, state of the art ignition for your 247 Airhead. Proudly made in Australia by motorcyclists who love their BMWs. By the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America, who invite you to ride inspired. And Boxer2Valve.com, the premium supplier for all your airhead replacement parts. Now, let's get this thing fired up. All right, back at it. Hello, everyone. Glad you can join us for another episode on the program this week. Mikey Thomas of Goldstroke Motors in Watkinsville, Georgia. Mikey works for Nathan Mendy at Boxer Works in Watkinsville, Georgia. You may remember Nathan and I discussing that in his podcast episode. Mikey is also the head honcho of his own shop, Goldstroke Motors, one that specializes in custom airhead builds and tastefully done, I might add. You can see all his builds, some of which we'll discuss today at goldstrokemotors.com. He also has an Instagram page with that same moniker. William Plam from Boxer 2 Valve has this episode off, but he will be back with us next time for another Tech Talk episode. I should also add here, we're planning on doing a feature on the Siebenrock 1000cc replacement kit. That's not the 1070 power-up kit. Uh, anyway, we're planning on uh, a segment in that in the coming weeks, so keep your ears peeled for that later on over the winter months. Want to say thank you to everyone for writing, as always, via our email, airheads247 at hotmail.com. Add the S, airheads247 at hotmail. As always, keep sending your survivor bike stories, your hellos, guest suggestions. We appreciate everyone who takes the time to write, and we always take the time to respond to your messages as well. I want to mention Harold, who wrote in asking if the podcast was free to listen to. And it turns out the resounding answer is yes. This is a good time to remind everyone the program will always be free. No subscription fees, paywall, hidden paid content, or anything like that. Our sponsors, Wedgetail Ignitions, Boxer 2 Valve, and the BMW MOA help tremendously in bringing this program to you. And as such, consider letting them know you appreciate their support by maybe sending them an email, or even better, directly with a product purchase or membership renewal, respectfully. All right, off we go for a visit with Mikey Thomas, Goldstroke Motors, Airhead 247 Podcast. We're on the phone with Mikey Thomas of Goldstroke Motors. Uh, you are down in and around the Athens, Georgia area, if I'm correct. Sure. Uh, right outside of Athens, Watkinsville. There you go. Um, Watkinsville. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And Mikey. I, I, I live in Athens. It's, it's, you know, it's only a 15 minute drive out of town. It is. It is. Yeah. I always want it's to say, right there. Yeah. I, yeah, I always want to say Athens, but when I spoke with Nathan and we'll get to him a little bit later in our conversation, he was quick to correct me, uh, to call, yeah. it, to call it Watkinsville. So before we get into everything, just, uh, curious, what is on the lifts or lifts right now? What are you, what are you currently uh, twisting wrenches on? Uh, 
Right now, nothing, which is awesome because uh, I stayed a little worried. Actually, I just got off about 30 minutes ago. Um, I had a uh, 77 uh, RS on there today. Um, it's actually it's a 77 RS, but then it has the smoke gray color scheme, hmm. like a, a 74 R90S. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, but you can look at, you know, it has the pinstripe wheels and the blue calipers, just like a, a, a 77 would. Um, but, yeah, there was a I, – I unfortunately didn't get to hear the noise. It was kind of a, a, a project I took over from Nathan. There was kind of like a metal-on-metal metal noise coming from the left side of the engine. Um, so we were, we, we were taking everything apart to see what we could find. Um, and uh, started it up today, no more noise, and uh, got his bill all worked out, at least for what I did to the bike. So I got another project coming in tomorrow, so I was pretty excited to uh, – you don't often get such a, a great starting stopping point when you have a starting point coming in. So it was exciting to do that, you know. Yeah, that's nice. The, the lifts are clear. Uh, the weekend is ahead, and uh, you're just waiting on the next thing. So I have to ask, with uh, this RS that was in, you said it was a 77. Uh, was it a CFO or non-CFO motor? It was a CFO. Okay. Yep. Yep. Stamped on the uh, engine case, CFO. Um, yeah. Actually, it was kind of interesting. So we didn't find much with it. Or Nathan took the left side head off. And we didn't really find anything. And then, so I took the right side off. Um, but then I went back to the left side to, to flip it over to uh, just check something out. And, like, a metal BB, it looks exactly like it came out of a BB gun, uh, came flying out. And I was, there, there was uh, something I thought was embedded in the intake uh, of the cylinder head, it turns out it was just a fleck. But it, it's honestly really strange. It's way too small to be like a, a ball bearing on anything BMW made. Um, I, I have no idea how it got in there, but it could have been making the noise. We don't know. Was it the uh, oil pre the little check valve in the uh, oil? No, uh, this oil? was considerably smaller. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I. I, I Tried to visualize any bearing on the bike. It, yeah, I don't think BMW anything made ever made anything that small. Um, you know, maybe it came through the intake. It, it's hard, it's hard to say. At least it's fixed now, and it didn't seem to cause any damage. So. Wow. Okay, that's kind of dodging a bullet. Yeah, it's just one of those weird, weird things that happen. Uh, honestly, some of my favorite stuff I do. Uh, is problems that Nathan's never seen before because it's always, <laughs> uh, you know, exciting and fresh. Yeah, I get to use my brain. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about what Gold Stroke Motors is. So I'm gathering just from our initial conversation here, uh, you also do basic maintenance, service, troubleshooting, uh, that kind of stuff for customers' bikes. Um, is that <clears> – <throat> and let me also ask that in this way – ask this that question and include this here so we can sort of get this clarified is how uh what is your how how do you term your relationship with nathan and, and boxer works 
when you guys are sort of working on the same bike? Uh, are you uh, kind of working with Nathan uh, uh, as a part of Boxerworks on a on a service and troubleshooting? And then when you do sort of a custom build or a build that you do, that's a gold stroke project. Tell me how that delineation works. Uh, pretty much Nathan's just my boss. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay, it's, okay. It's, I'm pretty much just an employee with their own brand. Gotcha. Um, there's gotcha. kind of a, a history behind gold stroke. Um you know, it, so I started off wrenching on what I call the, the budget belts. Um, it was uh, my first introduction into working on any sort of motorcycle. Um, and pretty much what I was doing is just trying to get something to look cool and be roadworthy and then sell it for as cheap as possible. Um, and these were airheads? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I only worked on airheads. Okay. Um, so basically, and, and I can get more into that later. Um, I don't know how much I want to. <laughs> I try not to uh, air any behind the scenes drama. Um, <laughs> as much or as little as you want to say, is that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I try to keep it for professional. But um, there was. An outside source who, you know, maybe thought that the um, the budget builds or the, the little scramblers we were doing was uh, devaluing the brand, I think the term was used. Um, so one day Nathan came to me and he said, you need your own separate brand uh, apart from Boxerworks to be able to advertise these bikes. Okay. Um, and that's fair. Yeah, so they're separate. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, oh, you, okay, you, you're going to pay me to uh, start my own little brand here? I'm, I'm totally down with that. So I just kind of took it and ran, um, and it's been pretty successful. Um, but for the most part, I am just an employee of Nathan's. Uh, the whole idea is, you know, it's Boxerworks is Nathan's. Um, I do all this social media for Boxerworks, so... Um, Boxworks is Nathan's, and then if I leave the shop, Nathan gets all the social media and everything for Boxworks, and then I would take Gold Sharp Motors with me. Gotcha. Um, so, so that's kind of the idea. It's kind of the uh, the perfect way to split before we've ever had to split. Yeah. And how long has this partnership been going on? I've worked for Nathan for about five years. Um. And then I've been doing Gold Stroke Motors for about three. Um, so, yeah, it's been pretty great. It's uh, it's nice to have, you know, because I, I post on Boxerworks, but that's, you know, the, the shop. Um, and you have to, you know, represent the shop. Whereas Gold Stroke Motors, I can kind of be um, myself, you know, and just it's a direct direct view into, you know, my life and exactly what I'm working on. Yeah. I want to backtrack a little bit and the unnamed, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. the unnamed, um, naysayer will call, call them him or her, whoever it may have been, uh, noting yeah. the, the budget builds devalue the brand, et cetera, et cetera. Now that, of course, a lot of people will are familiar with that 
the concept now, I guess, maybe, and I don't want to categorize what you do or that budget build necessarily as a cafe racer because it may be something. Well, I think what you do currently is a lot different than just a, a chop and paint kind of thing. I mean, it's 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 way beyond that. But in the larger, in the grander scale of things, that is a common refrain we hear from the old guard uh, of BMW aficionados. One I don't necessarily agree with myself, uh, only in part because now I wasn't a I was a young kid in the seventies. Uh, I was born in nineteen seventy, so you know there were guys were doing choppers, and I mean that kind of stuff. It's always been part of the motor cycle scene and it's just part from my view it's just part of the scene i think for guys your generation i don't know how old exactly you are but i'm just going to assume you're uh younger 33 okay yeah i'm going to assume you're under 50 and uh you are well under 50 so what do you have you had to have uh conversations justifications with people about that what is your take on it and do you have a standard reply what what do you what, what do you say to guys who may say that kind of stuff um i feel like i probably get less than most people um most of what i do is not anything radical I you know I, I like to keep the the bike pretty much the same it's mostly visual stuff yeah um i i, I normally don't alter subframes or i try not to take anything away from the rideability. So like fenders, I like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, if I'm going to build a bike, it's going to have fenders. Um, That's good. You know, a, a comfortable <laughs> seat, you know, yeah, it just, it, I can understand a little bit of the hate because there are so many bad builds yeah. out there. Yep. Um, but when I see a really great build, I, I think that's just the best. Um, it's something I'm a little envious of, of the chopper scene because they seem to have more support from, you know, guys who ride the stock Harleys or whatever. Um, yeah, that's strange. You know, I never really thought about it that way, but you're right. Yeah. You don't hear Harley guys saying, oh, what are you doing? Chopping up a perfectly good sportster or low rider. Yeah, they seem to be interested and supportive of it. Yeah. Um, but I, I do... There are some, you know, being on Instagram, there are some, like, I'm trying to think of a specific, once a person commented, and, you know, having knobby tires on a BMW is, is a big part of it. Um, and I think the best the best way to describe why people like that, um, the roads are so busy now, and I think everybody kind of wants to be able to dip off-road every once in a while, you know, motorcycles are at their core about freedom and kind of getting away from other people. And, you know, even when you go up to Blue Ridge, if you're riding, you know, down a curvy road, there's a lot of traffic. I mean, you know, most people who were in there had can tell you a story about like riding down a mountain road and thinking they were going fast. And there's just an SUV just like right behind them going way too fast. Um, so I think, as the roads get busier and busier, people are going to gravitate more towards the off-road. And I kind of feel like it's just a way of not modernizing the airheads, but uh, making them more uh, useful for today. Um, so I, so uh, most of the time, um, or 
let me think of a better way to say that. When someone did comment, they said putting knobbies on a road bike, and I'm like, well, it's not, you know, the best road bike in the world anymore. You know, that's it's true. still that's great true. fun, but it's it's not a sports bike. You know, you could go out and buy a, a Kawasaki, you know, which is way faster and you know could handle way better for around the same price. You know, um, to me, an airhead is. I love the the machineness. Uh, no, that's not the way I want to say that. I love feeling like you're riding an actual engine. You know, that thing that can be tweaked, and um, there's almost like a deeply personal feeling about how well your bike is running because you know it's on you, and I feel like you know putting knobby tires on that doesn't change that. And that's the core of why I love Airhead. So uh, that's, that's a great way of putting it. And yeah. you're not going to get any pushback from a guy in the Arkansas Ozarks about knobby tires on a, on a motorcycle. That's for sure. Uh, we have uh, miles and miles and miles of uh, off tarmac around here. In fact, <clears throat> that's one of the things I comment uh, this is a b- pretty big, uh, you know, sort of uh, V, let's call it a V-twin zone uh, where I live. And <clears throat> so, you know, one thing I always mention to other guys I see on cruisers and stuff like that is, you know what? You're only seeing a, th- a third of the rideable yeah. roads around here. Uh, you're only touching the surface. Uh, you know, if they're giving me crap about, oh, you're on the that little small R80GS, you can't keep up with me. I said, well, let's take the back roads to the beer store, partner. Let's see how that works out. You know, so there um, you go. <laughs> uh, anyway, without getting off on that tangent too much, but back and we were kind of talking, you mentioning about your builds and what you do, particular with the uh, your bikes at Goldstroke. Yeah, the knobby tires is one sort of uh, defining characteristic. The other thing I noticed, since we're on the subject, a lot of those bikes seem to have the sort of GS crossbar handlebar, uh, maybe a little bit wider handlebar that uh, goes along with uh, doing some off-roading. Am I missing uh, the uh, mark on that? Yeah, that, that is something I like. I just like the riding position better. Yeah, I do too. It's uh, nice. You know, it's, it's actually kind of funny because me and Nathan had this conversation, you know, I, I advertise myself as the scrambler builder, but, uh, in reality, uh, I think I've done about five RSs in a row. Um, it seems like for the last seven months, I've just had an RS on my left to, to the point where I told Nathan, I was like, look, man, I, I kind of need, I, I need some variety in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a talking about handlebars. The RS is the opposite. I'm I got a big torso. Like I'm six foot, but I'm all torso. So in a position with an RS, I'm like having to put a lot of weight on the handlebars, and it's just super awkward for me. As opposed to those, you know, what they're selling as the GS bars now. Um, I'm able to be upright, and it's just a lot more comfortable for my back. Sure. Honestly. I, Uh oh, I think I lost you. The St- start that bike. start that again. You you dropped. You were mentioning the RS bars. Okay. Did, did you hear the part about my torso? I did. Okay. So 
the GS bars are the opposite of, you know, the RS bars that I'm uh, uncomfortable on, where I'm able to just sit upright um, in a more natural riding position for me and my size. And I think there's a lot of people who feel that way. Um, and I just love the way they look. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have um, I have a, a R80 GS. Folks have heard me talk about it. First generation, and I've also got a 78 RS. And I've ridden those bikes back to back on the same day a few times, and it is weird. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll go out on the RS for three or four hours, and then I part because of where I live. I can't drive it back to my garage i have creek crossings and all this other stuff i have to contend with so i'll park it in town for a few months during the winter anyway then i'll get on immediately i'll park it get on the gs to ride it back to the house and it's like i'm driving a beach bicycle with handlebars when i get on the gs it's just such a weird juxtaposition especially going back to back uh after those two so yeah uh i I get you have do you have the solo seat or the double seat on your GS? Solo seat, so that sits up a okay. little bit. sits up a little bit higher too. Yeah, it almost feels like two different bikes having it, the solo seat. It does. I, I prefer yeah. I prefer that uh, over the dual, uh, big time. Okay. Spare tubes. Yep, got them. Spare starter relay and clutch cable. Check a Rooney. These are just some of the things on your checklist you may have when preparing for a road trip on your 247. Two things you may not have considered, the BMW MOA Anonymous book and the MOA's Roadside Assistance Plan. No matter how well you and your bike are prepared, yep, the unexpected can happen. The BMW MOA Anonymous book, it's one of the most confidence-inspiring items I pack when traveling. It's full of contact information for MOA members across the U.S. and internationally who can offer assistance in the event of a breakdown or provide a tip on where to grab a good sandwich or catch a live band. I've used the anonymous book on a few occasions over the years. The result, always the same. Friendly assistance with the repair and a great story to tell down the road. Conversely, I've hosted and assisted fellow riders over the years And the same applies. Always a fun story and the feeling of satisfaction when helping someone in need. Now, roadside assistance plans. These start at $20 a year for the basic and top out at just over $60 a year for the platinum roadside and tire hazard protection plan. That includes 100 miles of free towing up to four times a year and two tire replacements each year up to 250 bucks for each tire. The Platinum Package covers up to three bikes, regardless of the brand or year. As with any offer, there are details and conditions here, so be sure to check out more on this on the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America website under the Resources tab. So next time you've got a long road trip planned, yes, pack your spares and make sure your bike is tuned and ready to go. And for that extra peace of mind, have your MOA anonymous book and roadside assistance plan ready as well. Thanks to the BMW MOA for their support. Now back to our conversation with Mikey Thomas. 
Um, okay, so knobby tires, a lot of times we'll have GS-style bars. What are some other sort of common mods, upgrades, changes you generally do on a bike? Now, I know that'll vary maybe from what a customer wants, uh, but generally yeah. speaking, a, a Gold Stroke uh, bike is going to have, uh, among those two other things we mentioned, what are some other commonalities? So the, the seat they're selling as the BMW solo seat now. Um, I, I don't know who's making it. I know Siebenrock sells it, but it's not a Siebenrock-made seat. Um, they changed it a few years ago. Okay. used to be like the GS seat, um, but they, they kind of scooped out. Maybe it was probably about three years ago. They changed it to where the, the seat kind of has this scoop to it, more like the double seat on, you know, GS. Um, and I just love that seat. I think it's the, for the money, just a, a great seat, comfortable. It puts you in a great riding position. So I try to use that seat as much as I can. Have you ever um, tried the flat racer one? From? I haven't. Okay. Um, I do know that they make one. Yep. Um, I, I don't know much about it. Yeah, me neither. I just bought a original solo seat i i, I have to admit i kind of have a soft spot if i'm buying stuff i want to find a you know original part and then in in this case uh it's original denfield seat uh it's in good shape covers in good shape the chrome trim on the on the side's good it's just the foam's way past it so i've got to get got to cut some foam uh get that refoamed and uh, try to get that old cover back on there but i agree the solo seats uh are comfortable they look nice um, a lot of your builds almost all of them have them on there what but what are you using for if anything for a rear rack or how are you handling that open space on the rear fender i was actually going to bring that up because you mentioned flat racer yeah um so uh, for the first two maybe three i found some scrap metal or like a busted rear rack and uh you know made my own um but then I kind of put the cost of how much time I was putting into making it work uh -huh. versus flat racer. And the flat racer is great. I mean, it's sturdy. Um, so now it's just a flat racer rear rack. And people, I feel like I should be sponsored almost because it's like <laughs> at least once every two weeks, someone will comment and they'll be like, where'd you get that rear rack from? Yeah. And I'm like, go, go to flat racer. Well, hey, look, if they're listening, I've dropped them a line about at least just doing an interview on the program here. Uh, so... If you're listening wherever you are in London, uh, you know, drop me or Mikey a line. You know, come on. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, those are, are nice pieces. Uh, they seem to fit on there pretty well. Uh, nice fit. Yeah, they're real easy. Any issue with, uh, do you have any bikes that have that rear rack from Flat Racer and then you're putting on, like, a pair, a uh, set of luggage racks, you're still able to sort of, get all those copacetic and lined up if you're using luggage too? Um, I did put the La, La Poderosa. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I put that on with the flat racer, and those both mount in the same places. Okay. Um, but, but I just ground them down a little bit, um, and they, they were able to fit together. You know, it took some time. Sure. Sure. It wasn't like a in, instantaneous thing, but uh, 
they, they drive together after a while. Yeah, and you referenced there the uh, Ponderosa, the guys, I guess, from Spain that make the canvas luggage and uh, tank bags and stuff like that. Yeah, it's good-looking stuff. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty slick. I agree. Uh, one more thing on this rear rack. So and I'm, this is just topical for me So because I'm looking to do this. Uh, I have a, I guess it's a 30-liter, a smaller uh, top box. It's one of the Hepco Becker reproductions like the old Krauser box, but it's a smaller one, you know, kind of the 30 liters. Now, I'm guessing, and I bought that. I got it, you know, got it used at a pretty good price. My thinking is solo seat, uh, Denfield solo seat, uh, flat racer, rear rack, and then I just need, and I'm going to take this top box uh, it's and it's pretty low profile too. I don't like a tall top box. Uh, any and I yeah. I rarely use them. I can't believe I'm buying one, but um, I want to give it a whirl. And then maybe just cut you know a metal plate to put on the top box. Use the U bolts or something. Figure out how to get it mounted up. Uh, would that does that seem to you like uh, that would be a nice little uh, fit in that setup? Uh, I honestly can't tell you. I don't know if I've ever fit a top box. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I think it will. Honest, I don't know. All right. All right. I'd have to look at it. Well, I'll get back to you on that, Mikey, when I get around to it. Yeah, go for it. I'll, 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 I'll take a peek. I'll send you some pictures. I mean, the whole idea is kind of building like, you know, that solo seat was a police seat, an authority seat. And, or, you know, so originally when those seats were introduced, on those police bikes, there was a little b box on the back. I guess it was a radio box, whatever it was, uh, and the saddlebags. So I'm going to just try to sort of recreate that look and, and usability a little bit. And I'm doing it on a on a 77 uh, S. Uh, okay, all right. So that's so, really cool. That's my just having like a visual in mind of like, oh, there's this one bike from this one era, and you know just using some creativity to try to recreate it. I, yeah. I love that. That's, cool. That's, yes. Excellent. Yeah, that, that's what it's all about. Yep. Indeed. I agree. I agree. And, and, you know, most of my other bikes that I have, they're pretty, I keep them pretty original. Uh, they're all original paint and really mostly just modified internally, mechanical, electrical upgrades and stuff like that. But this 77S I bought, the paint was pretty faded. The body work was in good shape, but the paint was pretty faded and so I've just been kind of using it as a canvas to just be a little bit creative, not going too crazy on it, but just kind of make it a, a real usable uh, road touring bike that I can get muddy and not really care about. So that's I'll follow up with you on that. You can see how that works out. Okay, so solo seat, uh, tires, handlebars. What else are we seeing on Gold Stroke builds? Um. Any mod engine modifications, electrical modifications, or do you just do that on an as-needed basis? You know, as-needed, you know, the charging system is the weakest part of the bike. Um, and with a lot of the budget builds, you know, a lot of them were sitting for years before they, I, I touched them. So a lot of the charging systems were replaced. With that green bike, actually put the Seaman Rock kit on there, and that thing is amazing. That green bike was probably the favorite, my favorite airhead I've ever ridden. That, it was an R90-6. It's got the 1,000cc the Seaman Rock kit on it, um, paired with some Makunis, 
and that thing just rips. It, yeah, I saw that. So Where let's let's direct folks. That's uh, I, that's a recent addition, I think. Uh, Gold work, uh, GoldStrokeMotors.com, uh, yeah. I guess, is the web address, and there's some nice photos of that uh, up on, yeah. on on your website. And I notice also Arkansas tags. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you might see it running around there. Yeah, I'll keep an eye out for it. Yeah, that was snazzy, real snazzy uh, build. Like the paint, everything about that. Hey, hey, if I had to, you know, describe exactly what I like about a, one of my bikes, it would probably be everything on that bike I really like. Yeah, yeah. That bike, so it came to us, uh, the owner of that bike had had a falling out with another shop that we were actually friends with. And he called us seeing if we would take over. So, of course, we called the other shop and said, um, you know, your, your customer just called us and, you know, wants us to take over the, uh, the build. And he's like, oh, please do. more." Uh, <laughs> um, so it came to us in boxes, and I was kind of looking through. And a lot of, the, you know, the stuff the customer bought, and I was looking through, and I'm like, this is all stuff I like. And I went to Nathan, and I'm like, you got you to gotta let me on this one. And he's like, all right. So pretty much that thing was just taken, it came to me just blank, uh, you know, even the uh, the crank was out of the engine, the cam was out of the engine. Oh, wow. Um, which is, it's a little harder to put back a bike, or put a bike back together when you weren't the one to take it apart. Sure, uh, sure. So it took some time, but it, it turned out really well. I'm really excited about that bike. Yeah, again, goldstrokemotors.com. Uh, a lot of great pictures uh, on that bill. Great paint job. Just uh, uh, a phenomenal job on that one, Mikey. Uh, all right. So a couple other things here I want to uh, visit with you on. Let's talk about, um, since we're talking about sort of the stylized bikes that you build, uh, the current sort of build vernacular and design uh, is that something you think that we're seeing with these bikes, the sort of scrambler build? I, you know, I don't think it's necessarily of this generation uh, or your generation, you know, the you know, 30 somethings, whatever, I don't, whatever letter uh, generation you're supposed to be. I have no idea. But uh, that's something that's been around for a while. It's not new, but is it, would you say, for friends and fellow riders, guys you hang out with and uh, stuff like that, that's the the style that uh, everybody's sort of drawn to these days. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and why um, why is that? Yeah. I, I think it kind of goes back to the everybody wants to be able to go off road and get away from the traffic. Um, I think one, their airheads are affordable. You know, I know a couple of guys in town who kind of have that same style, and they ride airheads. Um, you know, I think it's a greater, it's not just motorcycles. You look at like off-road SUVs, they're huge with us. Good point. You know, the new Bronco was a huge hit with, yep. uh, you know, 30-somethings. Um, there's, it's almost seems like the definition of masculinity changed from going fast to going off-road, hmm. um, uh, across the generation. Maybe I shouldn't use masculinity because I think everyone finds it visually appealing. But you know that that less sports car oriented and more uh, rugged off roadness um, became the, the visual 
popular visual. Um, I don't know how to say that. Uh, I feel like there's a word I'm looking for that it's just not uh, coming. But my generation definitely leans more towards rugged off-road vehicles more than uh, going fast. And that might just be because we've kind of been priced out of stuff that really goes fast. So we, you know, try to find stuff that looks beat up and then make it go off-road. Wow. That's some good insight. You know, I've never uh, heard anybody put it in those terms, frame it that way, and it it makes a lot of sense. Uh, It really does. So let's go back a little bit. Um, your, let's talk about your just general interest in motorcycles, starting out, maybe your first memories of a motorcycle, first one you had, I don't know if it was an airhead or not, but where did, where did you get the bug? How did, how did you get the bug? Working at Box Orbs, actually. <laughs> okay. So you were airheads right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't, it's not like I dismissed motorcycles. It was just the, you know, I was pretty poor. Uh, so the idea of owning one was, you know, out of the realm of possibility for me. You know, I was, had just saved up to buy my first car, um, bought one, took it out to Yellowstone, worked for a summer, decided I didn't want to go back to Atlanta where I was living. So I moved in with a buddy in Athens who was working for Nathan at Boxworks. And then he was like, hey, you want to come in one day and use your laptop to list some parts? And so I just started there temporarily, and uh, I just haven't left yet. So Wow. So did, oh, you, have, did I, you have any mechanical background or anything when you started? Zero. Wow, no kidding. Nathan always makes fun of me. He tells a story about he asked for a wrench, and I handed him a hammer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know how true that is, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, it was definitely like learning a new language. I didn't come in with any any sort of knowledge or, you know, you know, idea how to fix anything, especially anything vintage. Uh, it's something I've had to learn from scratch. Wow. That's, a, that's pretty amazing. So you said uh, this has been about a five-year endeavor so far since that first fateful day when you were listing some parts on the internet, I guess. So how do you, how would you, how would you rate, uh, your sort of confidence capability, uh, as a wrench now? I mean, let's just say this on the front end. I mean, you've arguably had one of the more experienced, seasoned and knowledgeable, uh, mechanics to learn from uh, in the past five years. How do you? And I'm sure you've got to know you've got a long way to go. But are you? Would you describe yourself as a confident mechanic? Um, yes. Okay. Um, you know, when you're working on the same bike every day, mm-hmm. um, stuff tends to move a little bit faster. Sure. You know, there, there's no point where I'm working on a Yamaha or something, and I, I kind of have to. You know, learn so you, you know it's it's all airheads all the time. Um, so the time I have spent wrenching is uh, it's obviously going to move more along than uh, someone who's just fixing up a buddy's bike and then went and worked on another buddy's bike. And uh, you know, and you know, um, plus you know I have Nathan, um, and when I have messed up in the past, uh, 
he he hasn't let me off lightly. So I, uh, I, I, you know, I've learned pretty fast. Um, you only make a mistake once. Is that kind of what you're saying? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. But there's a good story, and I was actually t- so I'm I'm pretty. Uh, I talk um, pretty regularly to most of the guys who bought the budget builds. Okay. And I, I, I shipped the third, the third build guy a T-shirt, and in, in that T-shirt I wrote a note, and I was reminding him of when he came to buy the bike. And so it was me, Nathan, and him, like, in front of the shop. And all of a sudden it was like Nathan had never seen the bike before in his life. And he was just pointing out everything that was wrong. He's like, this cable's routed wrong. This cable's routed. And I was just dying on the inside. I was just like, you couldn't have told me this before the guy showed up. <laughs> so I was sitting there in front of the guy just fixing it. And, you know, uh, you, you don't do anything like that twice. You know, yeah. when you, you know, that, that's the kind of relationship me and Nathan have. It's, uh, it's very much an old school, uh, tough love, um, relationship and it's been a really good one and really great for both of us um but it's a funny story to look back on now it wasn't great at the time i first became a regular customer with boxer two valve a few years ago when refreshing an r90s william and edward plam's video repair series well that was a go-to reference it made that job and repair session much easier and really an enjoyable process. Boxer 2 Valve carries only the highest quality parts, mainly manufactured by OEM suppliers, so the fit is perfect and the repair, well, it's done just one time. Fitment and applications for all parts are clearly listed. To quickly find what you need, you simply enter your year and model of your bike and you'll see only the parts that fit. Shipping, that's always fast, with most orders going out that day at 2 p.m., and shipping is available to all parts of the globe. Boxer 2 Valve carries a wide variety of premium special tools and maintenance items, many of those unique to their catalog. William and Edward and the team at Boxer 2 Valve are Airhead fans, and as they say, with a passion for simpler times and uncomplicated machines. Check them out for all your parts needs, boxer2valve.com. That's the number two, boxer2valve.com. Thanks to William and the crew at Boxer 2 Valve for their support. He'll be back with us again next week. Now, back to our conversation with Mikey Thomas at Goldstroke Motors. Is there anything at Boxer Works? Well, since that's really the larger umbrella organization. Is there anything you guys don't do there? Do you outsource anything or is just just about nearly everything done in-house? I remember talking to Nathan. I want to say occasionally, sometimes he'll send wheels to Woody's or maybe you outsource paint on occasion because somebody's, you know, is a specialist there. But I mean, just as far as basic uh, repair, maintenance, transmissions, all that kind of stuff. Is everything pretty much in-house? So Nathan does transmissions. Um, we don't head work. We have a guy next door who's like a renowned Porsche 
um, those vintage Porsches. Okay. Um, and and sometimes he'll jump in and help us out with the head. He, he's actually working on some heads for an R90s I'm working on right now. All right. Um, but he, you know, Porsche heads make a lot more money than airhead heads. So he's not always available. Um, there's Randy Long, yep. who Nathan has a really good relationship with, which I think most people have, you know, heard of because he's been the guy for a long time. Um, I'm trying to Woody's, uh, we do have a guy who does paint for us. Uh, powder co- coating we send out. Um, trying to think of anything else basically we, we've got guys for everything um anything that we don't do um but that's pretty much it are there some of those aspects that maybe you outsource currently that you thinking hey maybe this there's an opening here for me this might be something i might want to get into are you how are you sort of envisioning uh, growing maybe your knowledge and, and service level ability o- over the years? Um, mm, or have you even thought about it? I haven't. I, honestly, you know, probably about a year ago, I sat Nathan down and I was like, you know, I just want to, I just want to start doing box work service work. Like it's, it's going to be the quickest way for me to get as much information out of you as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's what I've been doing, and I've just been kind of nose to the grindstone. Of course, it's different with Boxworks because uh, we don't do much local work. Um, most of our bikes yeah. are brought in from other states. So when someone sends you a bike, it's not just like bleed the brakes, change the tires. Mm-hmm. Like, I want you to go through this entire thing and I want you to make sure everything's fine, and I want you to ship it back to me. Yeah, yeah. People, people are bringing it across state lines because they want us to do everything, not just because they want us to do service. So service at BoxWorks is a little bit more involved than you know you would typically think about service. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, just lots of RSs. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. All right, so we've sort of talked uh, about Nathan a little bit here and your relationship with him. Of course, he's been a guest on the program before, and I, you know, I had a difficult time getting a question or a word in edgewise. I mean, I always seem like I always oh, had to. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure you're used to that. I'm sure. So let's backtrack. So you had a friend that worked there at one time. He said, "Hey, we need some help doing this." You show up with your computer. You see Nathan, uh, he cuts visually, he cuts an interesting and memorable uh, picture, uh, just his, the way he is. Uh, oh, yeah. You, I mean, you, he's recognizable immediately. What were your initial impressions of him when you met him, and what of those, I guess, impressions have not changed and, and what ones have? To describe Nathan visually, he only wear he's got a big white beard, only wears cut off t shirts. Um, you know Nathan would have been an icon in any industry he had entered. Like if he if Nathan was selling HVAC systems, there'd be a bunch of people 
following them around who were super into HVAC. Like it would not, he, he would not be contained to, uh, you know, the normal life. <laughs> it just wasn't going to happen. Um, so when I first started working for Nathan, I think it was about two weeks in, we sat down and we had a, like a long conversation about what I, uh, what I wanted to do with my life. And I couldn't really give him an answer. And the, the only thing I really told him is, uh, you know, I just want to be able to do whatever I want to do that day. Um, <laughs> that sounds like that yeah. sounds like a twenty-something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it is still what I love. Um, but he looked at me and he goes. Well, you're really good at washing parts. Maybe you could work at a car wash. (laughs) (laughs) What killed me is he meant it. Like, he was so honest about it. He was like, you should go work at a car wash. And I was like, man. That's cold. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's that's Nathan for you. He's just blunt, um, you know, in your face. He kind of, when you're a parts guy working for him, he has this, this call that he almost does for you, where he, he yells your name across the, it's like a crack of thunder, like, Mikey! Like, you'll just, like, you'll be sitting there, and you'll be like, oh, man, I guess I got to run downstairs. Or now, now our parts guy's name is Bobby, which works perfectly for him. Bobby! Bobby! You know, he'll just keep on yelling it until you show up. It's, it's great. Uh, now, that, now that I'm not the one being yelled at, I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty funny. Um, but yeah, it was great. Um, just honestly, being the parts guy was fun too. Um, you know, I hired a guy Garrett to replace me, um, who's actually wrenching now too, and honestly, picking up things faster than I did. Um, just a brilliant, brilliant guy. Uh, he's going to be, you know, he's already a good mechanic, and he's going to be, you know, if he, you know, continues for this for a while, he's going to be known. Um, I, I remember describing to him and I'm like, when you're learning and you're learning about all the parts and, you know, the ratios of final drives and what does this and what's breaks, like it's, it's fun. It's a fun job. And then when you stop learning, being a parts guy kind of, you know, loses its, its, you know, magic. Um, but it's almost weird to describe how I got into wrenching because it was the opposite of how everybody else does it. You know, when you're dealing with parts, you learn all the stuff that breaks on a BMW. Like, you know, before you know how to wrench it at all, you know that the seat locks on R80GSs are unobtainium and they always break. Um, stuff like that. You just, you know, uh, the metal mounts or the, the rubber mounts on the R90, R100 models always, you know, go bad. Uh, stuff like that. And then... It, so kind of learning all this stuff that most guys learn later down on the road first was just a really weird experience. Um, actually, the, the best thing that helped me making that transition, there's a, there, and this is a, a great thing for anyone looking to uh, become a better mechanic, there's a Haynes manual. It's a motorcycle basics manual. And it was printed in like 1990, maybe 1989. And I um, actually, it stems from a conversation me and Nathan had where he looked at, sat me down and he's like, look, you know, you know, 
what model came with a 135 jet and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you have no idea why mm. this model came with a 135 jet. Yeah. Like, you're right. Mm. So I went out and got that book. And it's not specific to BMWs at all, which is perfect because you're not overloading yourself with too much information. It's really just basic motorcycle theory. You're understanding the, the fuel, the air fuel mixture. Yeah, they dive into CV carbs without mm-hmm. overloading you with all the little stuff about, you know, making sure the dot on the choke faces the right way. Or, you know, stuff like that you can get from an actual BMW book, but it's. You know, you just get a diagram, and it, it explains to you exactly how a CV carb works or exactly how a flywheel works. You know, I, I tore through that book, and I actually, you know, highlighted and made notes. Um, and that was, that was really a game changer for me because once I, once I was able to combine the knowledge of, like, specific BMW things with just general theory, you know, I, I was – on my way to becoming a competent mechanic. Yeah. Um, so the Haynes General Motorcycle Manual. Duly noted. I'm right. I'm, I'm writing yeah. that down. That's uh, a good um, a good tip. Is and it, the best part is it's vintage. So they they don't talk about new stuff at all. Is it, it was modern at the time, but uh, I think there's one part where they're talk, they're like, there's a new thing called fuel injection. Blah blah blah. Um, so that's the kind of, you know, you're not going to get into ABS. You're not going to get into upside-down forks. Right, right. Um, yeah. Or the, it does explain to you why, you know, you can kind of connect the dots when it's talking about, you know, how a fork works and, you know, the weight of the slider versus, you know, all that stuff. You can be like, oh, so that's why upside-down forks have become a thing. Um, but, yeah, it's great. So, yeah, we're, ta- we're talking a lot of uh, mechanic detail, uh, books and stuff like that. I still want to get, explore this relationship between you and Nathan a little bit more before we move on. Um, is I imagine there are days where he is a, is a boss, uh, older brother, and sometimes uh, a father figure in a way, just because of his age and experience. Is that a fair way of looking at it do you have does he have that sort of multifaceted uh relationship with you on any given day uh the way i always refer to him as he's the grandpa i never wanted (laughs) (laughs) that's great yeah i mean it is um you know a lot of people nathan is such a charismatic figure you know, a lot of people feel like they have a very special relationship with him, which is, uh, so it's weird for me to, you know, I almost feel like I'm making myself vulnerable by saying, yeah, I, I think we do have a special relationship. I think, uh, we've grown a little oh, together. Um, the relationships definitely become easier, um, in the last few years. Um, but then again, there's nothing I've done that he can, uh, he, he doesn't have to chastise me as much. So good. You know, uh, you know, uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely you know that old school uh, tough love. Um, I'm trying to think about the jokes he makes that uh, 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 about me that uh, 
would be family friendly. <laughs> um, it's fine. You can. There's. There's. This isn't. Uh, there's no. Uh, nothing like that is off limits here. Whatever um, you're comfortable saying, I'm fine with. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll think of something good. Um, okay, so we were talking about uh, your po- podcast the other day. Okay, and I was explaining to. I said, uh, you know. A lot of people liked it. I didn't care for it. Nathan, too much Nathan. And uh, he, it was just a joke. Obviously, I really liked your podcast. Yeah. Um, and then I said, my favorite part was probably all the, you know, the nice things that you said about me. And then Nathan goes, you know, uh, entertainment, you got to stretch the truth sometimes. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the back and forth we have a lot of times. <laughs> um, yeah, he had mentioned... I think I had a either it was in a follow up email or might have been and even in the oh I know what it was it might have been because I had called him back to talk about the GS tanks uh, that you all have uh, that are being sold now maybe we can talk about that here in a minute but he yeah. said he said yeah you know I he was he said you two were joking because I had sort of framed it that uh, you guys were partners uh, in in one oh, way or yeah. another. You got a kick out of that. Yeah. You're, you're my partner now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. 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 I really didn't know anything about, you know, I didn't know y'all's relationship or anything. Uh, so, yeah, he, that was pretty funny. Well, let, let's yeah. just let's just end the discussion on him by saying, and I mentioned this at the top, uh, you know, you're fortunate to have uh, been under the tutelage of him. Uh, he's uh, uh, arguably one of the preeminent uh, airhead mechanics around today. And I think I speak for a lot of guys. You know, I'm a generation younger than him. You're probably a generation younger than me. So it's good to know uh, his philosophies, his way of looking at things, his knowledge is being passed on uh, to the next generation. That's a, It's a comforting feeling. Uh, for airhead fans and aficionados, and I, I don't—that's something I don't think you take lightly either. I am infinitely grateful. Yeah, it's—it's um, it's something. I, I mean, I looked—I spent probably like ten years looking for some sort of apprenticeship like this, and no, nobody does it anymore, you know. And just Nathan, honestly, has taken so many chances on me. Um, and just honestly letting me work on bikes starting from nothing um, is just so huge. You know, I, I, I don't know anyone else who would have, you know, done that for someone. Yeah. Um, and probably the, the highest compliment he's ever given me was uh, doing it again when he uh, turned the guy I hired to replace me into a mechanic. Um, and he's done nothing but succeed as well. So that's it, great. It's great to see. Yeah, yeah I, I think not everybody is fortunate to have somebody like that in their life. I mean, I have a great father uh, who is supportive of everything I've done, I've done over the years, and I love him dearly. But, you know, also when you go out on your own as a professional, uh, you're seeking your own career and things like that, not everybody's fortunate enough to find another male role model in a position like that that will give you that sort of 
as you're saying, opportunity to fail. I had a, a friend like that, Sid Selvage, when I worked as a musician and a radio producer in Memphis years ago. He, you know, had enough confidence in me and, you know, it was kind of what, here, just go out and do it. I trust you, go do it. And that was the end of the conversation. So that's, I, and I feel very fortunate to have been involved with him. And I think that's the same kind of relationship you have with uh, Nathan. So, Mikey, let's get yeah. let's get back a little bit to bikes. Um, so, I'm going down my list here. Um, I, let's get back to your builds. So, is there a particular? And you've been talking a lot. You know, RSs have been on your mind. Have been on your lift a lot lately. Is there a particular era, a model, uh, or bike that works best for you on your scrambler builds? Um, what what are your thoughts about what's the, what what are some models that work well for what you want to do? Um, you know, all of the all of those builds were kind of the general theme was I just used whatever I had. Sure. Um, so we I honestly don't do the, those budget scrambler builds anymore, only because. Uh, the budget increased. You know, I became a little bit too... I, I, I told Nathan this the other day. I said, you know, my time's become uh, a little bit too valuable now to, you know, do a, a budget scrambler again. And he goes, oh, Mr. Big Shot now. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it's true. It's, you know, uh, when I was doing those, you know, we were selling, and everyone who bought one knew the whole story. Yeah. You know, um, I'm starting off. This is a bike we wanted to get looking cool and roadworthy, but we didn't go through this entire thing. You know, we fixed everything that presented itself as a problem, but there, there might be things down the road that we didn't see because we didn't go everywhere. Um, and then, you know, there were problems. I think with the AMF scrambler I did, there's a pinhole on the fork tube that was leaking. Um, and we, we sent him, you know, another, um, another tube. Um, with the motorsport scrambler, the charging system went out pretty soon after he bought the bike and we walked him through it. Um, but you know, every, everybody got a discount. Everybody knew exactly what they were buying and everybody was happy. Um, but for all, with all those builds, it was literally just Nathan had a bike that had been sitting forever. Um, and then I took it and whatever used parts I could find upstairs, um, whatever we had laying around is what ended up going on the bike that I thought looked cool. Yeah. Um, it's honestly probably the greatest creative thing I'll ever do, which is sad to say. But um, <laughs> I feel like considering the, the lack of materials um, that were bought for those bikes, they all came out looking pretty good. They did, yeah. Um, you mentioned the, the AMF scrambler, which uh, I'm assuming was the black tank with the red, white, and blue uh, om yeah. uh, homage to the, uh, to the Harley AMF gas tank on the... Uh, they had those, I think, on well, a lot of the bikes of that. I think it was like, what, a 72 or something like that? 73 paint job on the Sportster, yeah. Lowrider, and all, all that kind of stuff. Even those little Italian dirt bikes they had. That's a neat uh, a neat design uh, on that. I always like those. Yeah. Uh, 
Terrible Vikes, uh, great team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, had I don't a, know anything about those bikes. So I had a late, fun. I had a late eighties Ironhead Sportster that was actually rather dependable. It was a low miles nice. bike. It wasn't. It uh, unlike a lot of bikes of that era, it hadn't been ham fisted and and modified. Uh, and yeah. I, I actually took it on a, a couple short trips i mean i didn't it's not the kind of bike you're going to ride for three or four hours at a time trust me but uh anyway uh so okay so my question there was you know what sort of what's a good era platform for a scrambler build and you're saying you know kind of really whatever you get your hands on um i might go ahead sorry i I have a good nathan story about that 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 amf yes go ahead Um, so I don't really like the the look of just a plain black tank, especially mm-hmm. that, that shape. Um, the shape I'm talking about is the the most common airhead tank, um, the one that came on RS's RTs. Um, so I, I was tr- trying to come up with a way to make it look better, and then I came up with the, the AMF design um, because we had had an Air Maki in the shop forever. Um, it always loved to tank. So I'm putting it, putting it on, and it's starting to look real good, like magically good after all this, like, stress about how am I going to make this bike look good. And it's like the fastest four hours of my life, just like everything starts coming together, and I'm just, like, feeling it, and I'm, it, it's just magic is happening in front of me. And then Nathan sees the bike for the first time after I've been working on it. And I'm, I like show him the tank. I'm like, isn't this isn't this pretty cool? And he looks down, and he looks at the ground. And he goes, "Your valve cover's leaking." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, come yeah. on. I love yeah. that. I love that. A practical comment only. Don't, yeah. Yeah. That's I'm great. Like, and I, I'm not focused on the valve cover. <laughs> That's uh, funny. So where where Mikey? Uh, I, I put this in your list of topics and questions. I don't know uh, if you've thought about this at all since I sent that to you or just in general, but uh, where where are you seeing Goldstroke? What are you seeing in the future for yourself in the next five to ten years? Um, <clears throat> you know, that's a, I'm daydreaming about Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I'd like to... Really, I'd like to see Nathan sell the shop. I'd, I'd like to find someone really great to sell the shop and leave them with, like, all the tools, you know, get get them on the Instagram, get get everything going for them, everything easy for them. And then kind of, you know, my girlfriend's from Jackson, Mississippi. That's oh, okay. Place. So I'm thinking about somewhere closer. You know, it's Birmingham, you know, you got the Barber Museum. It's right off the highway. It'd be kind of the perfect place. Like, you know, people would be willing to drive or drive four hours with a trailer, drop off their bike, hit Barber for a day, go back. You know, I, I think it would just be a great place to do that. Um, you know, ideally, in my daydream, I hope that or some rich guy finds me who wants like a, a man cave where he can work on his bikes and wants to fund it. <laughs> Doesn't want to put up with any of the maintenance or ordering parts or anything like that. 
you know, but that's that's kind of just my my dream. That is, yeah, that that is a good day. It's a good day dream, though. Yeah. So you know, I, I'd like to, you know, I, I view Boxworks as Nathan's or whoever's going to buy it from them, and I, I'd like to uh, set set them up with just a perfect ending, and then kind of you know go on my way and start something somewhere else. Um, yeah. Just keep on, keep on going. All right. Well, well that is uh, what some people call wait to see. So well, I'm making a note yeah. of that, and, and we'll see how that works out. All right. Who uh, knows what's going to happen? They exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Who knows? Yeah, but it's always interesting to hear, you know, hear an interview like this, you know, five or ten years from now, and see where it went. Yeah. Uh, all right, Mikey. Get- go ahead. I definitely think I'm, uh, you know, maybe a little bit premature on interviewing me, but this is going to be cool because I, I definitely see myself as, you know, uh, one of the big names down the road. Well, good, good. All right, time to get to our uh, sort of big four questions that we do at the end of the podcast. Uh, I know you've listened to a few of the episodes, so you you know what I'm about to hit you with here. Uh, hopefully yeah. you've, you've uh, mauled some of this over uh, a little bit. So. I, I, I don't have any great breakdown stories. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> okay. I, I just don't. All right. We'll skip that you, one. Then. You can skip that. Yeah. Thank All you. right. We'll skip that one. All right. So for you, the Mount Rushmore for the 247 Airhead. Uh, R80GSPD. Um, the one with the big tank. So that's, that is my bike. That's, you know, Gold Stroke is actually, I wanted a GS in the name. Oh, um, so okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it sounded kind of professional, like an oil company with slight sexual implications. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I just wanted uh, GS, and that way, you know, later down the road, I can put GS on T-shirts. And not there you go, cool. About, uh, and before, okay, so the uh, Paris Dakar, which I think was uh, introduced in '83 or '84, whenever that was. Uh, okay, yeah. let's before we move on. This is a good time to talk about the replica tanks uh, you guys are are selling and putting out. What's the status on those at Boxer Works as we speak here in uh, June? You know, I don't have much to say about them. Okay, we'll say I am a very particular guy uh, when it comes to tanks and takes tank shapes. And I don't like any replica tanks except for this one. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I, yeah, I think this is like, you know, I think it's leaps and bounds over any replica tank I've seen. But it's it's not really my deal. That's really, you know, that's a Nathan Solo project. Sure, sure. Yeah, I've seen a yeah. few. They look great. Uh, I talked with Nathan uh, extensively about it. Uh, so, yeah. all right. All right. Well, that, that's fair. That's fair. So you're saying somebody who's not a I fan do. of those, this one, uh, this one is one of the better ones you've seen. Well, I, I'm sure, you know, anyone who's bought a replica tank can tell you there's something weird about a lot of them. Um, you know, like the ones on eBay, uh, the corners are a little bit too sharp. Um, underneath the tank is always a weird fit. Mm-hmm. This one, Nathan has really put in the time. I mean, he's put in a lot of time with these tanks. And it just, you know, he's he's not going to settle for something. He doesn't no, think. no, uh, I wouldn't think so at all. Have you seen one done up in the white and rainbow decal livery? 
Um, only the penthouse one that we put on. Oh, yeah, I saw I that. Yeah. We are doing two um, two white tanks with the original PD decals. Okay. I was over. I was over here, and our parts guy and Nathan talk about that today. Yeah, that. I mean, you've got almost have to have that decal set on yeah. there, really, to see how it how it fares. Yeah, that's actually something I told Nathan. Um, almost exactly those words. I said, you know, if you want a great product photo, we need to do one of these white with yeah. the normal stickers. So I'll probably be taking a photo, product photograph of that and posting it on Boxerworks or. Yeah, so you'll be able to see that sometime. Good. Okay. Well, that was a nice sidebar. Okay. So bike one, uh, the eighty three, eighty four, uh, Paris Dakar. Uh, okay. Next one. Eighty uh, one, RTRS, and I, I say RTRS because in all my experiences, I've taken the fairing off. But it's not about the fairing. It's about the double disc brakes. It's about the Nikosil cylinders. You know, that, that bike is just, it's honestly, a, 1980 compared to 1981 was just a leap. It was just a leap in the future. Um, and those things, they've run forever. There's a reason the budget scramblers were mostly those bikes is because even if you leave them sitting for years, they just, they just are tanks. They're just great. Um, especially with those Nicosil cylinders that they came out with in 81, um, as a former parts guy, I can tell you, we had a wall of iron bore cylinders <laughs> and not a single Nicosil. Um, it, it, that, that error, just those cylinders were so good. Now, um, that also, it's also worth mentioning, though, the metallurgy on the valves was problematic. On the, on the valve seats was problematic. Yeah, I, I don't <clears throat> know anything about that. You know, there's a lot of problems that I wasn't around to run into. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Fair if enough. That may, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, there's so many things that were just fixed before I ever got to fixing them. <laughs> I get it. I get it. You well, know, like a, a gobbler uh, rear main seal. Um, it's pretty rare now, but, you know, for Nathan, that's still a, a good point reality you know good point. a lot of things were just i just don't exist anymore yeah uh, yeah that's like, a good point uh the recalled snowflake wheels mm -hmm. i feel like someone's paying people on facebook to bring them up because all i ever see is that uh make sure that recalls not or that snowflake's not recalled it, it's just so common but you never eat i don't know if i've ever seen a, uh, one that should have been recalled yeah in person uh, yeah. it's just not a problem that was around for me yeah well, that's a good point it's all about perspective uh in that regard uh yeah and let me just say this you, good for you because you're bringing up a, a model uh and an era of uh the 247 that has not made an appearance on there so all right glad wow. to hear you're a fan of that the 81 rs and rt okay number three but one problem with that 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 bike yeah the only problem uh well uh, two problems i oh. wish that they you know the r80gs and the r80st had the wiring harness with all the relays and everything underneath the tank yes which is a way better way of doing doing it yep 
I wish they had done that to the RSs and the RTs. So that still has the spaghetti bucket in the headlight? It does. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, the other problem is that they're mashed together in the fish with the, you know, the 77 through. Oh, that is a problem. They're, they're completely different. I, I wish, <laughs> totally. wish, you know, you, you go in there and you have two separate bikes and one bike in the fish. It's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. But other than that, uh, I'll wrap it up there. Uh, R75 slash five, it was the first, you know, it ushered in a new era. And then probably the R100 GS. Let's go back to the slash five. So I I, I jumped ahead. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's fine. Let's just talk about that for a minute. So for you, would it be a a short, long wheelbase? And then do you have a particular color scheme that you liked on those? For me, it's about the headlight and just the general stance of it. Um, I can remember early in my Boxerworks days just pushing one around and it felt like like this was before I even rode motorcycles. Um, it just felt like an engine on wheels. Uh, it just it felt so I was just daydreaming about riding one and imagining how in tune I would be with the motor <laughs> if I was sitting on it. you know it, it, it just seemed so bare bones and then you have you know the headlight and the speedometer where there's nothing in front of you. Um, it's really just a visuals thing for me and the fact that it was the first. Yeah, yeah. I had a, a long wheelbase slash five for almost 20 years, and uh, that was really the first, well, it was the first airhead I bought, and uh, I, I get that. I, mean, I get that feeling. It's a, it's a, unique, it's a unique place to sit uh, on there, yeah, with the flat speedo and, and speedometer there. Uh, okay, and then you say the R100GS, um, that yeah. that has, of course, everybody know we don't need to go into all the uh, quote unquote issues that that may or may not have, <clears throat> depending oh, yeah. depending on your again your perspective. Uh, what what about that? What a, away. What's that? Once a clip away from a perfect bike. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. What's a, what's appealing to you about that in particular? Really, I'm talking about the PD. Oh, oh okay, all right. I just. Huge tank, love it. When you're on the bike, it does not feel as big as it looks. Um, our, the R100 motor is just, uh, it's almost modern. It's not not in the feeling, but in when you need to pass someone on the road, you can. Mm-hmm. You can you can actually dive into a suicide lane and come out. And it's just, an R100, you're keeping up and more so. Um, you know, I just love riding that bike, to be honest. Um, and thinking about how far 11 gallons of gas could get me is just is, is a fun, is a fun little exercise in my brain. The fuel mule, as I used to call it. I usually ended. I usually ended up. I had a 92 PD, and I usually end when I would fill the tank up, especially when I lived here in Arkansas, because I live here in Arkansas. I would drive it home and then drain about half the tank out and use it for um, weed eater, uh, blower, and that kind of stuff. Because I'd put the mm. non-ethanol fuel in the bike and then uh, drain half of it out. Uh, that, and look, that tank, when fully loaded with fuel, it's like 80 pounds. I mean, it is like a, yeah. it's like a small child there. 
I can t- I can I can tell you, Mikey. It where I'm not a I, by no means am I an expert off road rider at all. All I can say is just by virtue of where I live, and to get from point A to point B, sometimes I have to ride some rough, tricky roads, gravel bars, creek crossings, steep uphills, downhills. The PD for me was not an off road bike. Uh, I sold yeah. it. It was it was too much. For me, it was too heavy. Uh, it's a great road bike. Uh, it's good for light off-road use, as far as I'm concerned. But when I, I sold it and bought the R80 GS, it was night and day. I mean, the GS feels like an X. Oh, yeah. It feels like an XR600 or something com- compared to yeah. the PD. Uh, my friend still owns it. I sold it to a buddy of mine. Who knows? Maybe I'll get it back one day. Um, but yeah, for an off-road bike, that wasn't for me. Now there are guys uh, who ride the hell out of those things off-road uh, uh isn't that annoying <laughs> i know jason <laughs> adams <laughs> he, yeah he's, he's someone who's so good at uh like yeah yeah there's a guy jason adams uh who has been a guest on the podcast he's on adv rider a stagehand and he has rally he started his sort of career as a rally racer on a pd that's what he had he i don't think he knew any better he just rode the hell out of it and yeah. that's that's what he's comfortable on, uh, and good for him. It's everything so subjective in, in that regard. But okay, so we've got your four bikes there: uh, GSPD first generation, a surprise appearance from the eighty-one uh, RS and RT. Uh, you also mentioned the Slash Five; that's always going to be there, and then. Uh, the R100 PD. So uh, Mikey will accept all of those, and we'll put a little yeah. gold, gold star next to the 81 uh, RSRT. I'm glad to hear that. We're skipping you over. Know, I almost yeah. Go ahead. I almost said the R65 just to shake things up, but yeah. <laughs> hey, that's a that's a cool bike in and of itself. Uh, okay, so yeah. we're skipping the breakdown story, uh, and then just the sort of silly question. And this is just more of a poll question than anything else. When you guys are filling up uh, an engine, what's what's the oil y'all use down at Boxerworks? Imagine it's the same that Nathan uses. Yeah, yeah, uh, the Valvoline uh, VR1. Yep, that's that's what's in my uh, garage as well. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think has, has anyone. I, I know a lot of people have gone into depth about it doesn't really matter, but has anyone actually talked about zinc and you know the effect of zinc on the motor? Uh, to a degree, yeah. But what are your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, if someone's already covered it, don't worry about it. Well, um, no, I'm curious to what... uh, You know, I I think most people don't know. Zinc is just great for motors. It's great for every kind of motor. It's, you know, helps out with the wear a lot. It's just terrible for catalytic converters, and that's why they don't put it in modern oil. Um, Obviously, Airhead doesn't have uh, a catalytic converter, so... You know, uh, a high zinc oil is definitely the way to go. Yep, VR the Valvoline VR1. That's uh, what I've been using for a long time, and uh, I, I buy it by the case. And I always keep a good supply in in the shop. I'm sure y'all do the same. All right, Mikey. Before we yeah. get out of here, let's just go over the uh, places where folks can find you. I mentioned uh, GoldStrokeMotors.com which the old-fashioned website, I mean, that seems a little antiquated these days. 
uh, folks who are yeah. on social media elsewhere, where, where are they finding you? Yeah, really Instagram. That's the main way that I po- try to post every day about what I'm doing. You know, that's where to find me. I also run the Boxworks Instagram, um, do photos for both. So, yeah, check it. Instagram's the way to go. Also, I, I cross-post to Facebook, so everything goes there, but I don't really check it at all. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's getting to be a bit more of an antiquated format as well. Okay, so I've got notes here. So the two things... Uh, one, I'm going to follow up with you uh, when I get my rear rack top box sort of pseudo police bike set up. And then uh, I also just wrote down here uh, Birmingham slash Jackson, Mississippi. And, and that's our, our wait to see uh, for this interview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that might be years down the road. So. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Well, look, uh, Mikey, thanks for taking the time. As I mentioned, um, it's great. To have you under the tutelage uh, of Nathan, getting that knowledge passed along, it's going to help usher box uh, airheads into the next generation uh, and for years to come. And as I tell everybody, uh, continued success and keep up the good work. Ah, thank you. Nice talking to you. Well, thanks to Mikey Thomas at Goldstroke Motors for joining us this week. A reminder, you can find all his builds on goldstrokemotors.com. Also, the Instagram page with that same moniker. Until next time, so long, everybody. The Airheads 247 podcast is distributed and produced by From Off Productions. Our producer engineer is Jeff Glover. I'm Darren Dorton. Look forward to catching up with you next time. Thank you.